Welcome to the podcast arm of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Peculiar People's Parish, based in Regina, Canada. Our mandate is pursuing His purpose, pronouncing His power, and proclaiming His praise. You can subscribe to our podcast channel today, so you never miss an episode of our podcasts. Be blessed by this teaching. Shall give glory back to you, and shall yield blessings unto us, and shall bring shame to the devil. For in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Please let us have our seats. Thank you, choir. God bless you. I want to welcome all of us once again this evening to another moment of our Bible study. And by the grace of God, this evening, we shall continue the study we started about two weeks ago from the book of James. Two weeks ago, we picked some prayer points from the book of James, and we concentrated solely on the book of James chapter 1. This evening, by the grace of God, we are going to take it in another dimension. We are going to do a little study in the book of James and make some references and also do some explanations to let us understand the essence of the book of James and how the book of James relates to us, even in our contemporary world. I want to start this evening by doing a kind of a recap on some of the things that we mentioned two weeks ago for the benefits of those that were not here and those that were, uh, those that were not privileged to watch that uh, program online from wherever they are watching us right now. Two weeks ago, I made mention of some things about the man called James by the virtue of which we should understand where this man was coming from so that we'll be able to capture the lessons that we need to learn from his epistle. I mentioned on that day about the identity of this man called James. And I'm going to mention something about that again tonight so that we can relate and we will be able to put ourselves in the stead of this man called James, by which we will be able to understand who Jesus really was to James and who Jesus is supposed to mean to us as well as Christians that are living in this generation. I mentioned on that day about the biological relationship of James to our Lord Jesus Christ that James was a blood brother of Jesus. In fact, James and Jude were blood brothers of Jesus. These were two of the other four sons that were given birth to by Mary after the birth of Jesus. And something fascinating about this man that I think we should be able to relate with tonight is something that Jesus said in one of his teachings. Jesus established that a prophet is without honor, even in his own house. And one of the subjects of that word that Jesus spoke 
was his brother, James. Why? The Bible makes us to understand in one of the writings in the book of John, which I'm going to make reference to tonight, about the attitude of even the blood brothers of Jesus while he was here on earth. It will surprise you to know that the two brothers of Jesus who later became disciples or who later wrote some of the texts of the New Testament, namely James and Jude, they were part of those that made mockery of Jesus when he was here on earth. In fact, the Bible tells us that at a point, it was this James and his other brother that were teasing Jesus and they were telling him, if truly you know that all these things that you are doing in terms of miracle and the teachings of the scriptures, if you know that these things are truly powerful, if you know that these things are real, why don't you expose yourself and let people out there, let them know you? They were not saying those words out of compliment, but they were saying it from a mindset of somebody that knows another person, maybe from cradle, they all grew up together in the same family. And what I want to bring out of that is the fact that a lot of us as well, we get so familiar with some things that have to do with God and with the scripture and with our work with God. We get so familiar with those things and we get to a point where we make jest of holy things. It is so surprising these days in our generation that when you go to places where people make jests, especially those people that are called the stand-up comedians, it will shock you to know that a lot of times they pick words from the Bible and they turn it into jests. That is as relating to people that are doing it outside there. I want us to ask ourselves today, to what level are we also so familiar with the word of God that we make jest out of it? To what level are we so familiar with people that are anointed with the power of God and we make jest of them? You know, we live in a generation in which when you talk about some people that are highly anointed and revered, you will hear people that will be telling you about them. Who I know him. We grew up in the same neighborhood. They have become so familiar with that anointing that they can easily relate to that person based on what they knew of that person several years ago, maybe because they attended the same school, maybe because they grew up in the same neighborhood, and that is the reason why a lot of people, they miss their miracles. It will also shock you to know that this man called James did not have, a, he did not have an in-depth understanding of the person of Jesus until after the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know that just like James, many of us, we lose the benefits of the blessings that's supposed to come to us by some things that we have been so familiar with and we take those things so simple that people that are, you know, holding those virtues in high esteem, when they get blessed by those things, it is people that are so familiar with such things, with such concepts, with such people that do not have benefits of those blessings. 
Let me bring this closer home. Have you ever thought about it? That a lot of times, first-timers that come to church, they have more testimonies. Have you ever thought about it? Would you agree with me? A lot of times, when they are asking for people that the Lord is doing some mighty things in their lives, it will shock you to know. I'm making it very practical. This is very true. And I subject it to debate. A lot of times, when you go to congregations and they are asking for people that have testimonies, it will shock you to know that a lot of times, unbelievers that just came to Christ, their testimonies are bigger. And I will tell you why. The reason is this. A lot of times, we are so familiar with the congregation where we worship. We are so familiar with the vessels of God, just like the way James was familiar with Jesus. We take for granted those anointed people of God, and that affects the level of our faith. Such that even at the times when God is moving within the ministrations of those people, or within those concepts, it's not only about people. It's also about concepts. We get so familiar with those things to the extent that the benefit of blessings that are attached to them, we miss them. James had an opportunity. And his opportunity was that after the resurrection of Jesus, don't forget, Jesus appeared to some people. James was one of the people who saw Jesus after resurrection. And the historians of the Bible, they established that he had a better understanding of the person of his brother after that time. Listen to this. It is not everybody that had that kind of opportunity. Some people died. Though they knew Jesus in person, but they did not relate with the power that Jesus carried. A question for every one of us. What concept today in the body of Christ are you downplaying by which you are shortchanging yourself? I pray that Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I want to quickly show us, I said something two weeks ago, and I want to quickly go back there for the sake of clarity. I related the book of James to those teachings that were done by Jesus. The Bible calls them the Sermon on the Mountain. If you read from the book of Matthew chapter 5, especially to chapter 7, the Bible made records of some teachings that Jesus did on the mountain. And he did, if you read the book of Matthew from chapter 5 to, verse, uh, to chapter 7, you will see that most of the things that were recorded there, they were the words of Jesus alone. Most of what was written there. If not the entire, you know, chapters. From 5 to 7 of the book of Matthew, they were things that were directly said by Jesus. James was part of the people that were there. He had a better understanding of those teachings of Jesus. And by the way, I want to encourage everyone of us, like I told us two weeks ago, number one, go and read the book of James. Only five chapters. Prayerfully go and read it. And I'm, I even gave us an assignment on that day, and I'm going to ask. I said that we should go and read the book of James. How many people did? How many people did? One. Okay, if you were not here on that day, raise up your hand. Okay, so those that were not here, they are excused. If you were here on that day and you read it, raise up your hand. 
One, two, ah, it is well. Okay. And that is part of what we are going to see in James chapter 2 and 3. I pray that Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I want technical people to please give us that um, table. There is a table I want to show us that relates the book of James to the teachings of Jesus on the mount. And I'm going to quickly touch on the relationship between the whole of the book of James and the teachings of Jesus. Yes. Now, if you read the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2, there James was making reference to the blessings in facing trials. I remember that we mentioned that two weeks ago, where James was saying that the test of our faith is meant to develop patience in us. And that was what Jesus was also saying in the book of Matthew chapter 5, from verse 10 to 12, where Jesus was talking about the blessings that come to those that are persecuted because the kingdom of God is theirs. In James chapter 1 verse 4, James spoke about the goal of the gospel to make us to be perfect and to make us to be complete. That was what Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. James chapter 1 verse 6 talks about the essence of asking God for our requests in faith. And that was the same thing Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 7 verse 7, where he was saying that we should ask, we should seek, we should knock. That was what Jesus taught there. In James chapter 1 verse 20, he was talking about the reasons why we need to manage anger. Jesus spoke about the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, where Jesus was talking about, do not be angry with your brother unduly. Don't get angry to the level where you are saying raka to your brother. I had to go and look for the meaning of that word raka. It means when you are looking at somebody and you say, you are a fool, you are stupid. Do you know all those things that we see when we get angry, even with our children? Inability to control anger. He made reference to Matthew chapter 7, from verse 24 to 27. And that could be found in James chapter 1, verse 22, where he was talking about the reason and the importance of doing the word of God that we hear. He says that we should not be hearers alone, deceiving ourselves. According to James chapter 1, verse 22, James says that somebody that listens to the word of God and does not do anything about it is just like someone that stands before the mirror. And after seeing the way he looks, where he's supposed to make an adjustment, he just leaves it like that and he goes away. Do you know that a lot of times that is how we come to church and it will all tend towards coming to church to mark the register. To what extent has the word of God that we have heard transformed our lives. James chapter 3 verse 18 is taken from the root of Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 where Jesus was talking about the need for us to pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. James chapter 5 verse 3 is making reference to Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 which talks about the danger of storing our treasures here on earth, 
where Jesus was talking about the fact that where the treasure of a man is, there his heart will be. And James was questioning, what is that thing that we treasure so much? James chapter 5 verse 10 makes reference to Matthew chapter 5 verse 12, where Jesus talked about the examples of the prophets that suffered. And he was talking about the blessings of meekness. James chapter 5 verse 12 makes reference to Matthew chapter 5 verse 34 that is warning us against swearing and making oaths. Take note of that. Jesus said that we should not swear with the heaven. That is the throne of God. We should not swear with the earth. That is his full store. We should not swear with our head. We cannot create it by ourselves. You can go and read that please. And a lot of times, in order for us to make people to believe us, even believers, we go ahead and we start to swear. Jesus said, instead, let your yes be yes, and your no be what? And let your no be no. The key verse in the whole of the book of James that summarizes the whole of that book is the book of James chapter 1 from verse 21 to verse 22. And those two verses, they summarized the teachings of the whole of the book of James, where he was laying emphasis on the importance of us living the life of heaven right here from the earth. And that is the essence of the book of James. Let us pay attention to this. James is not only talking about the relevance of the house that we have there above, but the book of James is telling us the quality of life that we should have right from here on us, so that the life that we are talking about in heaven, we can see the possibility of living that life from here. And that is a God-like life. That is the essence of the book of James. And we need to pay attention to that. Well, for today, I will be concentrating more on the books of James chapter 2 and chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole of, the, of those chapters. But I'm going to be picking out some contents from there. We shall discuss that. And then we are going to round up. Let us just see how far we can go with that. Now, I want everybody to pick his Bible. I said that earlier, a lot of us, we don't bring Bibles to church any longer. Take it or leave it. These are some of the signs of the end time. You may laugh, you may not believe me, I'm telling you truly. Now we are in a generation in which people are ashamed to carry the Bible. Search your heart. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. James chapter 2. If you have your Bible, please go there with me. James chapter 2. <clears throat> I'm going to read a few verses there. I don't know how many verses, but just follow me. James chapter 2, I'm reading from verse 1. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in his in fine apparel. And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one that wears fine clothes. And you say to him, you, sit here in good place. And you say to the poor man, you, stand there. Or, sit here 
at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called. I want to stop there. And the question I want to pose, I want us to make it a little bit interactive within the short time that we have. Why do you think there is partiality? Anywhere. Not only in the church. Why do you think people are partial? I want somebody to attempt that question. Why do you think that concept called partiality, why do you think it exists? Why are people partial? If you don't raise up your hand, I will call somebody at random. So you better raise up your hand and talk now. God bless you, my dear. Yes. Why do you think people are partial? Thank you, my sister. So that they can obtain favor in return hmm. at um, some other time. Thank you very much. Thank you. I love that answer. She said, so that they can obtain favor because of that partiality, you know, so that they can obtain favor. Thank you very much. Do we have any other answer in the house? Why do you think people are partial? Yes. Approval and validation of who they are. Thank you very much. For approval and for validation of the personality. Yes, sir. Because of human nature. Hmm. Thank you very much, sir. Sometimes have control of ours. Hmm. Human nature. Wow. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, sir. I will agree with the last speaker. Men always want to be in control. So partiality will, being partial will help them exhibit that control. Hmm. Please don't go yet, sir. I need you to elucidate on that. So when somebody becomes partial, he could use that as an instrument of control, right? Yes. I love that answer because it is true. Thank you. God bless you. Okay. All the answers that we gave, they are perfect. And there is a reason I'm asking that question. Now, James drives it home a little bit more. You know that when I asked that question, I said anywhere. I did not say in the church. Is that correct? And I just threw it open. I asked, why do you think people are partial? All those answers are very correct. And the next question I would like to ask is, for all those answers that we give, do you think the same thing plays out in the church. Anybody? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Do you think the same thing plays out in the church? Absolutely. Fine. Can you please give an instance? I'm going somewhere. Anyhow, whichever way you see it. Yes, sir. Well, what I can think of right now is um, I remember back in Nigeria, I've had some people say, oh, Pastor always favor people mm. that he thinks are rich. I've just heard that complaint. Like yep. people feel like that. Like this man favors those that 
he thinks are rich that pay more tight and all that so mm. for for people to have that um that thought yeah it means it's playing out in the church thank you very much sir god bless you do we have any other reaction to that yes sir situations where founders of church will always want to hand over to their children i didn't get that again sir like founders of it like let's say you're the founder of a church okay and you want to hand over to your child. okay that's uh, another example thank you very much sir thank you now the reason i ask that question is this take note james said and i read do not hold the face of our lord jesus christ the lord of glory with partiality and from what james was saying here he is calling our attention to the danger of segregation in the midst of the believers how can we say that we have the faith of the lord jesus which is meant to transform us and which is meant to have an influence on our world how can we say that we have that kind of faith when in our hearts there is a motive already that is against the neutrality of the faith that we are talking about? What, faith, what James was simply saying here is about the danger of building a community of believers where there is true expression of love. You see, the Bible makes us to understand that when Jesus was here on us, the kind of relationship that Jesus had with the disciples, especially, and the kind of relationship that Jesus had with the people in the early church, those people that started the church after Jesus had left, the kind of relationship that Jesus had with all the people that he dealt with then was the kind where you could hardly differentiate between Jesus and all the other people. But what played out even from the days of James, who wrote this, was that there was a movement in the early church after some years, right? There was a movement in the early church, and that led into the doctrines of some churches many years ago, where they gave the impression to people that no matter who you are, you can buy your way through in salvation. There was a time in the history of the church where there was a doctrine that they call purgatory. I don't know if you have heard that before. And the issue about, there is a church that preaches that. I don't know if they still do it. But in the history of the church, the concept of purgatory is such that no matter what you do, you can get to a level by which, because of the wealth, right, that you have extended to the church, you can buy your way through in heaven. And that was done in order to manipulate a lot of people many years ago. But would you listen to me, my brethren? Something that is similar to that is still happening among the believers. And James was saying here, what is the essence? How can you link that kind of behavior? How can you link it to the faith that we profess, that we have in Christ? Now, this is the danger. One of the great reasons... Why the power of God does not flow among believers is because there is a hidden motive for the good things that we do for one another 
in the church, starting from how we treat people. And you look at somebody, you feel like, oh, if I should become the friend of this person. And listen to this very well. I'm getting to the point where I can relate it to our everyday world. Do you know that there are people in church, they make friends with other people because of the kind of car they ride? Let's say the truth. People are selective in making friendship just because of the background information they had about somebody. That brother works in so-so-so place. And by the virtue of that, I can take advantage. So, they want to become the friend of that brother. But the day they hear from pastor that we want to pray for so-so-so brother or so-so-so sister because of this challenge, and they feel like, wow, somebody that has that kind of challenge is not likely to have money. You may laugh, but it is true. And the reason I'm mentioning this, you will see, James was saying something in his book. He was talking about the practicality of the word, these things that we hear every day. The reason why we lose values of all these things is because we get so familiar and we lose the values of them. God wants us to change from our hearts. And that is the reason why he was condemning that concept of partiality in the church. If pastors should distribute names now, and you should just say that we should all write our names. Write your name, squeeze it, put it in a basket, and we now do random pickup. And we say, it is the name of the person that you pick that you are going to buy something for. You know we used to do that thing many years ago in, in the country where we came from. I think they do it here too. Is that what they call potluck? Okay, I'm a, I'm a bushman. Is that what they call potluck? Sweet Santa. I don't know. But you, are, you have an understanding of what I'm talking about. Thank you. But what I'm trying to point out there, I have seen cases. Let me share this with us. We don't have all the time, but I want to make sure that whatever we can do, let us do it well. You see, I remember many years ago when I was an undergraduate in our fellowship. Our fellowship pastor, he said we should write our names we should squeeze it and put it in the basket and we should pick the names. It is in the name of the person that you pick that you are going to buy a gift for, for Christmas. I remember vividly, a brother was complaining bitterly that he has an intention to buy something very good for the name he picked. But when he discovered the person that picked his own name, he felt like that person would not be able to buy something good for him. And from there, he became bitter. And I want us to think about how all these things play out among us. Ask yourself, are you going to express the same measure of love to the person sitting on your right as much as you will to the person sitting on your left? Don't answer me, just ask yourself. And that is what James was talking about here. Let us avoid anything that is called partiality. You know that there are some churches where it is the kind of dress that you put on that will determine where you will sit. We thank God for this congregation. Nobody knows anybody. Right? However, if in your heart, in the community of believers, you are selective of who you want to relate with, you are selective of who you want to do things with, James is talking to us here, the danger of partiality. And the danger is that it reduces the flow of the power of God among the believers. Do you know why? 
because it does not tally with the faith in Christ. Verse 1. I pray that Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I want to quickly go to another verse there. He says, For whoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point, I'm reading verse 10 of the book of James chapter 2. Whoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, I'm going to read that verse 10 again. For whoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point, that person is guilty of all. Because he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. This is what James was pointing out. We live now in a generation where people are selective of which of the laws of God that they want to keep. And that is one of the reasons why people are dying while they are yet living. I want you to listen to me very carefully tonight. James was calling the attention of his readers, which include us now, to the danger of being selective of which of the word of God that we want to keep. Let me tell you what some people do. They have an idea of what a particular page of the Bible is talking about. So when they get to that page, they skip it. These are things that happen every day. There are times when people... Immediately they hear pastor talking about something and they know that that thing is addressing a weakness in their lives. They shut their ears. Though they are in church, though they are in the fellowship, they shut their ears. They don't want to listen to that. We live in a generation where when people read the Bible and they see something that is addressing a particular thing in their lives, rather than exposing themselves to the fire of the word of God, they skip it and they gloss through it. Do you know what people are looking for in the Bible? All those places in the book of Isaiah where God has promised heaven and earth to people. And that is why such people, they don't want to look at the word of God concerning what are the instructions by which they should live their lives. They only want to lay claims on the promises of God. Selective obedience. James was asking here, is it not the same God that said you should not commit adultery, that has said you should not murder? It is not only about adultery and murder. What James is saying here is, if you have kept some of the word of God, but you have secluded some others, and you are now looking at it as, oh, it applies more to brother so-so-so and sister so-so-so, James is talking to us here, selective obedience. I pray that Lord will deliver us in Jesus' name. He says, so speak and do as those that will be judged by the law of liberty. What is that law of liberty? And that is what a lot of people are taking for granted now. The freedom that we have in Christ, a lot of people, they have misinterpreted that freedom. It is the reason why in our generation, some people will tell you, once you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, any other thing you do, the blood of Jesus has covered you. That is an erroneous teaching. Don't take that law of liberty. It is true that when a person is in Christ, he is a new creation. But 
there is still a responsibility that is attached to the life that you have in Christ. From verse 14 downwards, James was speaking about the essence of the work that we need to do after we say that we profess our faith. In fact, what he was saying there was that our faith is not built only on our confession. He made an example there. He said, when your brother comes to you and he tells you that he does not have food to eat and you tell him you are filled in Jesus' name, whereas you have something that you can share with him. You see, one of the misinterpretations of James chapter 2 from verse 14 downwards, especially in my local language, one of the misinterpretations is that people think that what James was saying there is that when you have faith, you must have a job which is not absolutely wrong, but that is not what he was really talking about. What James was talking about there is that it is not sufficient for you to just confess that you have faith in Christ, but that faith that you have in Christ must also be supported by some things that you do that will prove that you have the faith. And those things that he was referring to in the old language, they call those things the works. Those works, they include the expression of the faith that we confess that we have. And the question I'm going to ask us tonight is, when you say that you have faith in Christ, to what level have you put that faith into action? That is what James was saying here. This might sound a little bit funny, but it is a true um, interpretation of what James was saying here. Take for an example. If you say that you have faith for healing headache, right, to what extent have you by yourself and on your own when you have headache, to what extent have you laid your hand upon your head to pray for yourself and to believe that that prayer is going to work and you move your mind away from the existence of that headache? It even extends to that. To what extent have we made a move when we say that we are trusting God for something and there is an aspect of an action that we're supposed to take concerning that thing that we are trusting God for? An example, somebody that is praying to God, Lord, give me a job. To what extent have you made applications? It extends to that. To what extent have we shown the love of Christ that we are professing to other people by reaching out to them in love. I pray the Lord will help us. Verse 20. But do you know, O foolish man, that faith without work is dead? Oh, time is really running. I jumped to chapter 3. I want to make sure that at least we pick some things from both chapter 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 3. Listen to what he started with in chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Let me quickly stop there and let us talk about it. Do you know it is easier for somebody to be finding fault in other people? When you are in a position, you know, to judge people and you find yourself as somebody that does not see something that is right about other people. 
especially in the church. I remember that in our house fellowships last month, we were talking about those accusations of the devil. How many people attended our fellowship the day we had that lesson? And we were talking about one of the points that we raised at the house fellowship on that day was how Satan accuses other believers. Right? James was saying here that we should not be teachers in so many things. This is what he is saying. Why should we be in the position where we are the one that is always correcting other people? And James was saying here, it is from those people that are correcting other people like that, it is from them that God is going to require so much. Let us make it practical again. To what extent have we accepted other believers? And we just tell ourselves that, you know, that is how he knows how to do his own things. God will give him grace. The other side to it is when we see a fellow believer, when he does something in a way, because that is not the way we are going to do it, we will now believe that he is wrong. That is what James was talking about. We need to learn to accommodate other people. James was not saying that when we see something wrong, especially according to the scriptures, he was not saying there that when we see something that is wrong, we should play lip service just because of the kind of favor that we want to get from that person. And when we see that what he did was wrong, we try to find a way just because we don't want to fall out of favor. That is not what James was saying. But what he is saying is that we should not be the kind of people that are finding fault in everything that other people are doing. And we should not be the kind of perfectionists that will believe that we are the only ones that know how to do everything. There is a danger behind it. James said, we are the ones that are going to, it is from us that more is going to be required. Let me quickly give us an example. I said I wanted to make it practical. I remember many years ago, my father told me a story. He was in, you know, maybe the board of a church many years ago. And they brought a case to the members of that board about a young lady in the church. One of the members of that board, who was maybe fortunate enough to be in that board at that time, because he was maybe the youngest of the people there, you would be the one that would always come to the church board to report maybe some young people in the church. I found this one in a place like this. I found this one. I did this. I did this. And eventually, be pointing accusing fingers to the parents of those young ones, right? And one day, my dad had to caution that person and said, see, when you see those young children in those places, why don't you call them? And as, you know, a big brother, why don't you just talk to them, advise them, let them see the wrong? Why should you be making a kind of a note of all those wrong things that those young people do, and you wait until when you come here in order to shame their parents? My father said, see, I want you to take, to take note of something. Until you have children that are as old as those children you are pointing and accusing fingers to, until you have children that are as old as that, you will not know how difficult it is to train teenagers. This man will not listen. 
Honestly, it is not something of joy that I'm sharing this, but I want us to pick a lesson from it. Many years later, the child of this very man that was pointing accusing fingers, right? She got pregnant out of wedlock as a teenager. And somebody now remembered the day he was cautioned about accusing all those young people. And somebody now pointed it to him that, can you remember somebody told you sometimes ago the danger of this thing that you are doing? Right? What I'm trying to point out of it is this. It is very dangerous if all we can do is for us to be looking at the faults of, that, of other people without trying to make a contribution in love to make those people to be better. There are ways by which Rofunshok will do something that I feel is not okay. And the next thing I want to do is to go to Brother Ola to tell him. <laughs> and the way things like this start in the church, I will give you a drama. The way it starts, you will see, hmm, may God help us. That's so it is start. I want us to check ourselves. You can laugh, but please pick the points in it. The way gossips in the church, the way is that when somebody comes to you, he wants to talk about another brother or another sister, and the first thing you will hear is, hmm, may God help us so something is coming. Hmm. Have you heard about this thing that Brother Funshaw did? He's going to another level. What James was saying here is, let us learn to show love to one another. Even when we see our brother that is falling in a fault, don't let us see him as a cast away. Let us find a way by love to help that brother. Not for us to judge that person and not for us to approach the point of shaming that person. I pray that Lord will help us in Jesus' name. He continues, For we all stumble, and this is where I'm going to stop, I'm going to mention this point, and I'm going to round it up here. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does, does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. I jump to verse 7, verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how a great forest, a little fire kindles. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and had been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. What do we speak about other people? Do we concentrate on the strengths of other people or are we tail bearers? There are people in church, they are the ones that know the bad things that every other person has done and they want to talk about it. When you start a little thing, they will have somebody they will make reference to in the church that is doing it. And those things that they are making references to, they are not good things. The use of our tongue. And unfortunately, a lot of times, we say things that we don't even know the root of them. We just assume some things, and we go ahead and we are just talking. The use of our tongue. James was asking here, he said, that should it be that this same tongue with which we say that we are praising God, it is that same tongue with which we are speaking blasphemies. He says, it should not be so. It goes to the extent of I mentioned that two weeks ago. Do you know 
that a lot of people, the people that God had placed in their care, right, they have placed curses on those people by the words of their mouths. The people God had placed in our care, that includes our children. It includes our spouses. It includes people that are looking up to us spiritually. Sometimes, just out of anger that we don't control, we say some things, and I want you to take note of this as we close. There is a measure of anointing that you carry on people that you carry responsibilities on their lives. Do you know, a parent, even though that parent is not a child of God, is not born again, when that parent says some things into the life of his child, if that child is not a child of God, what that parent had said, it will hold. How much more a parent that is a believer? This goes to every one of us seated here today. Whoever God had placed under you, be very careful of what you say concerning them. We should also be very watchful of the words that proceed out of our mouth about ourselves. A lot of children of God, when they find themselves in some tough situations, rather than for them to see those situations as challenges, they will say that they are in problem. In the open heavens, yesterday and today, our Father in the Lord was talking about the ministering angels. A lot of people, they disdained the power of the angels that had been assigned to them. And that is how they speak evil words. There are demonic powers that are flying around, and they turn those words into law for them. I pray the Lord will deliver us in Jesus' name. I want us to stand up. I think that is how far we can go tonight. We shall continue next week. But I want us to pray. There is something that stands out for everybody in the book of James. And that is the wisdom that James was talking about. The whole of the book of James is the book of wisdom. I want us to tell God, Lord, the wisdom to live a life of Christ right here on us, Lord, grant unto me in Jesus' name. Go ahead and pray. Lord, I pray tonight. The wisdom to live the life of Christ right here on earth, ranging from the words of my mouth to my relationships with other people, to my everyday life, so that I will be a replica of Christ here on earth. Lord, please grant me the wisdom in the mighty name of Jesus. Go ahead and pray. We hope you were blessed by that teaching. For further inquiries, please visit our website, www.rccgppp.org. You can also check us on Facebook and on YouTube at rccgpppsk, on Instagram and Twitter at rccgppp. If you are within the city of Regina, Canada, you can join us in person at 1771 Bond Street, S4N, 1X7 for a refreshing time in God's presence.